This evening's reading is from Joshua 5, 2 to 15. This can be found on page 219 of the Church Bibles. At that time, the Lord said to Joshua, Make flint knives and circumcise the Israelites again. So Joshua made flint knives and circumcised the Israelites at Gibeah Haraloth. Now this is why he did so. All those who came out of Egypt, all the men of military age, died in the wilderness on the way after leaving Egypt. All the people that came out had been circumcised, but all the people born in the wilderness during the journey from Egypt had not. The Israelites had moved about in the wilderness for 40 years until all the men who were of military age when they left Egypt had died. Since they had not obeyed the Lord, for the Lord had sworn to them that they would not see the land that he had solemnly promised their ancestors to give us, a land flowing with milk and honey. So he raised up their sons in their place, and these were the ones Joshua circumcised. They were still uncircumcised because they had not been circumcised on the way. And after the whole nation had been circumcised, they remained where they were in camp until they were healed. Then the Lord said to Joshua, Today I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you. So the place has been called Gilgal to this day. On the evening of the 14th day of the month, while while camped at Gilgal on the plains of Jericho, the Israelites celebrated the Passover. The day after the Passover, that very day, they ate some of the produce of the land, unleavened bread and roasted grain. The manna stopped the day after they ate this food from the land. There was no longer any manna for the Israelites, but that year they ate the produce of Canaan. Now when Joshua was near Jericho, he looked up and saw a man standing in front of him with a drawn sword in his hand. Joshua went up to him and asked, Are you for us or for our enemies? Neither, he replied, but as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. Then Joshua fell face down to the ground in reverence and asked him, What message does my Lord have for his servant? The commander of the Lord's army replied, Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. Thank you very much, Lossie. Promises are uh, important, aren't they? Whether they be big or small, if, uh, if we say to my daughter, oh, we, we promise you that you, know, you can have chocolate at this particular point, I can absolutely guarantee you that she'll remember that for the rest of her life, probably. Um, anytime we promise her chocolate, she's there. Um, and any promise broken when we don't do that, she's, um, she really makes you know about that as well. Um, and that's true for small promises, but it's also true for big promises, isn't it? The, the big promises we make in life. I promise that I will do this for you, to have, to hold. Uh, All the big promises, they're important. And when we break those promises, it always ends in hurt. It always ends in brokenness of one form or another. Uh, And our passage this evening is all about promises. Uh, So as we begin to look at it, uh, let's pray uh, together. Father, we thank you for your words. We thank you that it is good. And we thank you for this story that's being unveiled before our eyes over these weeks. And we pray tonight uh, that as we look at this little bit of Joshua, uh, you may open up our eyes to see your bigger word, to see your promise to us. In Jesus' name we pray. 
Amen. Now, there's been a lot of excitement, hasn't there, in chapters 3 and 4, that this whole nation has crossed the Jordan. Uh, Chapter 3, that they went through uh, on dry land. Uh, This absolutely impossible task has been accomplished by uh, the Lord to bring this nation uh, across the Jordan. Uh, And then in chapter 4, two weeks ago with Phil, we uh, we heard those 12 stones being taken. uh, Those sort of remembrance of remember what the Lord has done for you. Remember, remember, remember. Uh, and then we, we get chapter 5, verse 1. Now when the Amorite kings were the Jordan, all the Canaanite kings on the coast heard how the Lord had dried up the Jordan before the Israelites uh, until they'd crossed over. Their hearts melted in fear and they no longer had the courage to face the Israelites. So there's this sort of onward journey. We're, we're across the Jordan. Let's go. But yet, chapter 5 just seems to sort of slow the narrative down a bit. Uh, We don't kind of get this onward progression, running into the land to take it. We have this slightly funny uh, little detour. I mean, in some respect, the summary is quite simple. Joshua deliberately injures his whole army uh, as they enter the land. Uh, and he's basically doing that because everyone who, who came out of Egypt, all those that came through of Moses, through the Red Sea, uh, the ones who, who'd marched forward to the land originally, they'd been circumcised. And uh, when they got to the land, they said, oh, no, don't want to do that. They didn't go into land, apart from Joshua and Caleb. So that meant they had to wander the wilderness for 40 years. But those who were born in the wilderness, they weren't circumcised. They weren't, and they need to be. But is that all that this passage is getting at? Just a simple kind of narrative story? Well, as you'd expect, there's something deeper going on. And what what is happening here is it's what we call a a covenant renewal. A covenant renewal. But what is a covenant? I mean, is it just to do with this fellow, Indiana Jones, and all that he does? Uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark and all of that. Well, well no, I mean, a, a covenant uh, is a promise. But it's a promise that has conditions. Uh, so it says, uh, I uh, promise to do uh, this, this, and this. And the other person says, between two parties, I will then do this, this, and this. Uh, and if uh, this person doesn't do this, this, and this, then the other person says, well, then I will not do or do this, this, and this. It's a promise that has conditions attached Uh, to it. Uh, And covenant lies at the very heart of how God relates to his people. So you might know the story of Abraham, where God says, I will give you a land, I'll make you a great people, uh, and I'll give you a blessing. That's what God promises to do. Uh, And what does Abraham have to do? Trust and believe. That's his side of the bargain. If Abraham believes, if he keeps the covenant of faith, then the Lord will give him people, land, blessing. If he doesn't keep the covenant, if he doesn't believe, if he breaks the promise, then he'll be cut off. If he breaks his promise, he'll be cut off. 
So how does circumcision uh, fit into this? Well, you don't have to turn it up a Bible, but let me read to you uh, Genesis 17, uh, verses 10 to 14. You can look it up if you want to, but um, Genesis 17, 10 to 14. This is uh, the Lord speaking to Abraham. Uh, This is my covenant with you and your descendants after you, the covenant you are to keep. Every male among you shall be circumcised. Uh, You are to undergo, uh, every such shall be circumcised, you are to undergo circumcision. And it will be the sign of the covenant promise between me and you. For the generations to come, every male among you who's eight days old must be circumcised including those born in your household or bought with money from a foreigner, those who, are not of your, those who are not your offspring. Whether born in your household or bought with your money, they must be circumcised. My covenant in your flesh is to be an everlasting covenant. Any uncircumcised male who has not been circumcised in the flesh will be cut off from his people, for he's broken my covenant. So uh, circumcision is that, that sign of that promise. But, but why circumcision? Uh, the Coptic Christians have a, a cross tattooed on their wrist. It reminds them that to be a Christian, they'll face suffering. So why didn't the Lord say, oh, you can just have a little tattoo on your arm or something? Why circumcision? Well, I think there are three reasons. <clears throat> Uh, the first is that it's, uh, it's intimate. It's something which is deeply, deeply personal. Uh, the second is that it's uh, symbolic. Uh, circumcision means cut off. It's a symbol of, of, of what will happen if you break the promise. It's, uh, it means being cut off. It's a bloody process. It shows the severity of breaking God's promise. It's symbolic. But, but also, uh, lastly, it's completely unseen. It's not visible to anybody. It would be completely unknown. So circumcision is the, the symbol, the sign of the promise between God and his people. But actually there's more than that. Because circumcision in and of itself... It is of no value whatsoever unless it matches a circumcised heart. Uh, Moses, uh, again, writing in Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 6. The Lord your God will circumcise your hearts and the hearts of your descendants so that you may love him with all your heart and with all your soul and live. Uh, the, the symbol of circumcision means nothing unless it's also accompanied by the inner spiritual reality of the internal circumcised heart. But what does sort of circumcised heart mean? Uh, well, Tim Keller has really helpfully said, uh, he thinks that to define a circumcised heart is to say what we ought to do and what we, what we want to do, that should be two, not TP. <laughs> what we want to do are the same. What we ought to do, the right, the wrong. And what we want to do, 
the right and the wrong, are the same. You could summarize it by saying, God's law is written on your heart and you want to follow it. What you ought to do and what you want to do are the same. So when we uh, feed that back into Joshua 5, what do we see? Uh, Have a look at verse 5 and 6. All the people that came out had been circumcised, but all the people born in the wilderness on a journey from Egypt had not. Uh, The Israelites had moved about in the wilderness for 40 years until the men who of military age, uh, when they left Egypt, had died since they had not obeyed the Lord. For the Lord had sworn to them they would not see the land that he'd solemnly promised their ancestors to give us. The men who left Egypt were circumcised, but did they have a circumcised heart? Well, what happened when they went to the land? They went, what they ought to have done? The God, the Lord's given us this land, let's go. That's what they ought to have done. What do they want to do? Ah, they can't do it. You see, they had the external mark, but their heart was not following the Lord's. What they ought to do was not what they wanted to do. And it wasn't just a one-off, because, of course, the Lord said circumcised every male in the house, but yet had they? No, because all the people in the house hadn't been circumcised. They hadn't done what the Lord had asked them. They had the mark. But yet, they broke the covenant. So what happened? They were cut off. They were cut off from the land. But what about this new, the the children, the sons and the daughters, those who had been brought through the Jordan, entirely at the Lord's work, remember? It was the second the priests stepped into the Jordan, the water dried up. Well, now they renew their promise. They renew their covenant. Verse 7 and 8. So he raised up uh, for their sons in their place. And these were the ones Joshua circumcised. Uh, They were still uncircumcised because they had not been circumcised on the way. And after the whole nation had been circumcised, they remained where they were in the camp until they were healed. These people are putting their trust uh, in the Lord. Uh, These people are the ones who are saying, we will follow. And remember, actually, this is not an easy thing to do. Their whole army is out of commission at this point, and they're in enemy territory. They're hugely vulnerable to attacks, left, right, and center. But of course, remember, chapter 5, verse 1, all their their enemies they're coming against, their hearts melted in fear. They were paralyzed by fear. These people are trusting in the Lord, even in their their most vulnerable point, and and they renew their covenant. And so then, uh, verses 10 to 12, they they celebrate the Passover, as they should have done, and they enjoy uh, the proceeds from the land. Uh, And the supernatural provision of manna, that's the, the wafers that tasted like honey that the Lord gave them as they wandered through the wilderness. Uh, that supernatural provision ended uh, as they used the provision from the land. Uh, 
Uh, and just, just as a, an aside here, and this is an aside, but it's a helpful point. Um, just notice the Lord's provision. Uh, there was a, a man called John Witherspoon, who was one of the founding fathers in America. Uh, and he was also the, the head of a, what would have, a Bible college back in that day. Uh, and one of his students came running into his office saying, uh, Sir, sir uh, praise God with me. Uh, on my way uh, to, to the seminary this morning, uh, my, heart, my heart horse that I was riding bolted. My cart got smashed, but I was completely safe. And John Wimberspoon said, let me tell you a more remarkable story than that. I have ridden that same road hundreds of times. My horse has never bolted. Uh, my cart has never been smashed. And I've been kept safe every single time. His point was that actually the Lord provides in supernatural ways and in ordinary ways. It may be at times of your life you can think the Lord has provided supernaturally for you. Somebody uh, popped something through the letterbox. That food arrived at the right time. Or maybe the Lord provided for you uh, as your salary popped into your bank account, which meant you could go to Tesco to buy food. It's all of the Lord. It's all of his provision. Uh, he supernaturally kept them in the wilderness through the manna, and now he ordinarily kept them uh, with provision of the land. But just coming back to the passage, what, what is this telling us? What is Joshua 5 about? Well, on the one hand, again, it's just helping us to see that Joshua is the leader who we're meant to follow, so who the people are meant to follow. Remember Moses through the Red Sea? Uh, Moses uh, kind of keeping the people, giving them the law. Uh, Joshua is following in his stead. Uh, the people are meant to kind of be following him. But what about us? What are we to do with this? What's the kind of the so what? Uh, well, at the end of the service, all the men would like to have a little line at the back of church and no, of course not. Of course not. You see, uh, covenants, promises, are what lie at the heart of what it means to be a Christian. Uh, the promises that we hold on to are not about a land and a people and a blessing. It's about life. <laughs> it's about life. Uh, and the covenant that, that is marked is not marked upon us. Remember that verse, that my covenant is marked on your flesh? Actually, our covenant now is marked on his flesh. It's his wounds. By his wounds we are healed. That's the mark. That's where the mark of the covenant is. With those nails being driven in the cross. And it's an absolutely assured that because of the marks on him, those promises will come about. But there's something more that we can say. And this is something that's um, particular to the, to the Anglican church. And so whenever I say that, there are people who think, well, I'm not Anglican. And so it might be that actually you don't necessarily hold to this. That's okay. Um, this is not an issue that we divide over. But it's an issue that we should know about. And that's about baptism. Um, because next week, uh, we're going to be baptizing a, a small child in the morning service. Uh, and we all Christians say that actually when someone comes to faith as an adult, they should be uh, baptized. That's the, the mark of being part of the, the covenant, being part of God's people. Uh, but Anne can say actually there's a, a continuity. Uh, 
uh, from this old sort of circumcision uh, and to the new. Uh, so thankfully, it's not circumcision anymore, it's baptism. Uh, and so as anchors, we say, actually, because there's this continuity uh, of covenants, uh, in the same way that the eight-year-old babies were circumcised, actually, um, we're going to baptize babies, uh, small children, or, or, or parents who are Christians. Uh, because that's the way that Christians bring their children uh, into God's promises. Remember what we said about circumcision? It's of no use unless it's accompanied by a circumcised heart. Having it done does nothing for you if it's not accompanied by faith. The same is true of baptism. Having it done does nothing for you unless it's accompanied by faith. And so baptizing children is saying, look, we, we want to bring our kids into this covenant and we want to pray and we're going to teach them about Jesus. And we're going to pray like Billio that one day they'll hold those promises for themselves. And so that's why uh, the Anglican Church baptizes children. Just like babies who are eight days old, who, who could not make no profession of faith themselves, uh, were brought under God's promises. And so likewise, we bring uh, the children of Christian parents into the covenant and say, we pray one day they'll make those promises to themselves as well. Uh, but is that all we can learn? Of course not. As we said at the beginning, it's all about promises. Uh, and in this passage, uh, God is completely uh, being faithful to his promise. So he said to Abraham, I will give you a land. And even though the people wandered and the people disobeyed, he still got his people into the land. Uh, there was nothing that was going to stop him. And the same is true of the Lord. There is nothing, nothing that is going to stop him. So when he says, I have gone ahead to prepare a place for you, there is nothing that will stop him. When he says, all who call on my name will be saved, there is nothing that will stop him. When he says that your sins have been cast as far as the east is from the west, there is nothing that will stop him. When he says... I will never leave you or forsake you, no matter what happens. There's nothing that's going to stop him doing that. So this evening, are you going to take him at his word? He's trustworthy. He will do what he says. Even when life gets dark and hard, he will do what he says and he will bring you home. Just to close, um, some words from Ephesians chapter 8. So chapter 2, verse 8. For it is by grace you've been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It's the gift of God. It's his work. Will you accept it by faith and then enjoy the life that he gives us? Let's pray.